Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show with your host, Jason Brown, where each week Jason teaches you how to get yourself and your clients brutally strong and, of course, well conditioned. What's up, everyone? Jason here for another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned. It's been a minute since I've recorded one of these, and there are some things that I have been wanting to talk to you about and uh, some things that we have coming in the near future, more YouTube content being one of those things. And needless to say, I'm here today to chat with you about what works and what does not work. I went down a rabbit hole experimenting with things many times in my life, like I'm sure many of you have. We tried different systems of training. We tried different cycles, if you will. We might even go off and do something completely against the grain that we've never done before. You know, some great things come from that. We gain a lot through our own experience and we are shown what really resonates for our unique individual profile and what does not. Now, go back in time, 2006, when I started getting involved with CrossFit and coming off of of being heavily involved with the conjugate system for, at that point, almost seven years, I had a really strong base of fitness. I was uh, always very strong. And when I got into doing CrossFit, I had the ability to do a lot better than most people because of my strength, not because I was incredibly conditioned or I had this great aerobic system, but because I was strong and I could kind of fake my way through a lot of the work. Um, if there was Olympic lifting or powerlifting or or high uh, volume uh, pull-ups, I was able to fake my way through a lot of that stuff. Um, and needless to say, CrossFit really opened my mind up to looking more into the aerobic side of things. And it gave me the motivation to go down that energy systems rabbit hole. So in that process of learning about how to do both strength and conditioning, it was always the holy grail of training for me. I always wondered, like, how can you do both? I enjoy both and I see the benefit of both. Uh, but how can you do one where you don't sacrifice improvements in both areas? And that has been something I have been working on, I would say, now for the majority of my career. And if I fast forward to my days of doing CrossFit at my gym um, and competing, trying to make regionals, uh, during the CrossFit Open, you know, again, we we always had a very strong team. We've always had strong individuals. That was always an area that we excelled in, but the aerobic side of things was always an area of weakness. So I, in the process of trying to figure out how to blend together the most optimal form of strength training and the most optimal form of conditioning, I tried many styles of training and, you know, using various linear block periodized cycles in conjunction with high intensity aerobic work, if you will. Uh, that's you know how I would classify the majority of the CrossFit work we do. And what I found was that not only did I get worse, but I found myself being more burnt out, less motivated to train. Every every training session, and I, can, I know my wife and uh, a few of the people, my training partners back then could attest to this. We were always, it was always a struggle bus to get going. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say, well, it, you know, that's just life. That's just how it goes. You know, we're, we we have to push ourselves and and get these workouts in regardless. And that's just something we face on a day-to-day -day basis. But I would, I would urge you to consider the other side of it, that maybe there is something else that is off. Maybe there is something else that we need to fine tune. So we don't feel like that. Because I can tell you right now in my uh, current state at 39 years of age and having three kids and having, you know, a lot more responsibilities now than I did back then, I am far more motivated to train. I almost never have days where I'm um, like walking into the gym like sludge. I am always motivated to train, you know, for the most part, if I'm, if I'm being realistic, probably 90% of the time, I'm, I'm pretty motivated to, to get my training session in. 
And on top of that, I don't leave feeling like I'm completely destroyed and that I have to take three days off after my training session. So, you know, in the experimentation process, we find out that, hey, maybe this isn't the right way to train. And I will, I will tell you that one thing that always was a good kick in the ass was coming back to conjugate. So I strayed away from using the conjugate system more times than I'd like to admit, because I almost thought that it wasn't the right fit because CrossFit was just this mixed modality style, you know, the def by definition, high intensity training with foundational movement patterns. That was something to me that made me think that there might be a better way to optimize both training. And of course, you see a lot of people doing different things. You see a lot of strength cycles. And even, you know, back at the time when I was learning more about CrossFit, I went to a business seminar with Ben Bergeron from CrossFit New England. I think it was his first business seminar, business of excellence seminar that myself and my wife went to. And he talked about their programming. And, you know, there was actually a heavy conjugate emphasis in his programming, but they spent certain times of the years doing certain things. So there was more of a block style, like they would spend X amount of time developing power, X amount of time developing strength. And if you just look at any textbook definition of block style periodization, that's probably what you'll see where there's certain emphasis of certain qualities of fitness for a certain length of time. So me not having as much experience with linear periodization decided to experiment with it. I had the luxury of being able to train under great coaches that exposed me to the conjugate system early on. So I always got better. I never felt burnt out. I mean, you know, back in your teens and twenties, of course, you don't really feel burnt out, but I always experienced significant gains in my training every year. And uh, I didn't know any better. So when I started experimenting with linear periodization, I quickly found that I started to feel less motivated to train. I started to get worse results. And, you know, I kind of always got to a turning point where I said, you know what, I'm just going to go back to doing what I know. And that's the conjugate system. So immediately it was very simple setup. We do two max effort days, two dynamic effort days. And, you know, our conditioning is going to come by way of, you know, we can still do high intensity work and, and CrossFit style Metcons, but I was implementing more sled work. So the sled would serve as my conditioning tool for the most part. And then of course, the specificity of CrossFit Olympic lifting, that stuff is actually very easily mixed into a conjugate model. Unbeknownst to many, you can mix in Olympic lifting very well and have it play out. And I've experimented with a number of ways. And I can tell you at this you know, present day that how, the way I would structure that is a little bit different, but overall, very much similar to how I would use the conjugate system with uh, competitive CrossFit back in 2015, 2016. So, you know, again, going back to what works and what doesn't work at the times that I was doing linear periodization, we had stopped doing a lot of our classic movements like glute ham raises and reverse hypers. And there was less emphasis on single leg work. And, you know, you could tell me that all the things I did wrong. I'm sure that there was plenty of things I did wrong. I'm not, you know, telling you everything I did in the sense that it was right. It was certainly a lot of low hanging fruit. What we were doing, we, we were not doing a lot of the right things, but I can tell you even, even more recently that in my own experimentation, trying to clear up some nagging aches and pains, there are times that I will remove certain things. And for some reason, the reverse hyper and the glute ham raise are those two movements that, albeit I always feel better doing them, I always get great gains. They are two things that seem to get removed from my training. And I, I'll tell you that the reverse hyper on paper, I would not be a, a great candidate for it based on my posture. I'm in, I have a very extended extension based posture. So the reverse hyper on paper, any coach that knows, 
you know, functional anatomy and, and, you know, several of my colleagues that I know that are much better with functional anatomy than I am would say the reverse hyper, they don't love for me. I've actually asked a few of them of them and they've all said the same thing verbatim. Um, but I can tell you from my actual experience doing it in the trenches that when I remove it and I've removed it more times than I want to admit, I feel worse. My lower back feels worse when I implement it back into my training. And I'm not talking, you know, a ton of frequency, but you know, one to two times a week, my back, my lower back feels significantly better. So again, that works for me, might not work for you, but I will tell you that those are two staple movement patterns that work incredibly well. These are things, you know, reverse hyper glute ham raise are things that I used with my clients for years. They, I used at my CrossFit box, I used for CrossFit competitors. And those are two things that I will never remove from someone that is a competitive athlete. Those are two staple patterns that I know work. So if we were to boil down a list of movements that we know to work, if we, let's just say we just categorize this as foundational movement patterns. So your squat, hip hinge, lunge, push, pull, and carry. And we came up, let's say with four to five movements per category. I've done this. I've done this exercise. And I would urge you, if you're a coach, I would urge you to do the same thing. Figure out what patterns work that you know, without a shadow of a doubt. If you had to put your money on right now, what patterns do you know that if you program them, for the majority of people, again, there is never a one size fits, but if you had to just pick and put your money on four to five movements per category, what would they be? The things that I have come up with are things that are not gonna blow your mind, okay? The glute ham raise is in there for a hinge pattern. The Romanian deadlift is in there for a hinge pattern. For our pressing patterns, whether it be horizontal or vertical, I know the floor press is a great variation for a lot of people. I know a slight incline bench is a great variation. Close grip bench, great variation for a lot of people. I know that we can go with a variety of chest supported rows for our row pattern, inverted rows. So, you know, again, we're not talking a ton of things. Now, of course, there are variations to those variations, but I'm talking just really the main root pattern. So if I had to pick, let's say one pattern from each category, if I went through my squat patterns that I know work for my squat. If I had to pick one, it would be the front squat. Okay. You're probably thinking, well, why wouldn't it be the box squat? Why wouldn't it be, you know, the back squat? Um, what about a safety bar squat? You know, there's a million box squat variations for me. I would pick the front squat because I've seen higher levels of application with more people, including myself, less spinal compression, more anterior core engagement, the ability to, you know, really be, I would say more of a hybrid pattern. You get a lot of anterior, but you also get posterior with the front squat. Um, not as much so as a back squat or a safety bar squat or even a box squat, but the front squat has been a pattern that's been tried and true for myself and the people I work with, especially guys over 35 that, you know, might have some, some disc issues, or maybe they, we need to unload them more so than we need to load them as far as, you know, a traditional posterior loaded squat pattern. So the front squat would be my one pattern that I would 100% keep. Now, again, you can use bands, chains. I use chains all the time. I actually just talked about this recently on social media, using bands and chains to reduce wear and tear on your body. That is a great benefit of them and one that's not talked about as much as it probably should be. Um, but again, the front squat would be the pattern for me. I actually see that it the box squat is kind of mixed. I would say for most people, the box squat is a great movement. It can repattern the squat. It can build, you know, more, uh, basically more activity with the posterior region of the body, your glutes and, and hamstrings, and even, you know, get a lot of adductors depending on how wide your stance is. 
but I do see some people that have trouble with a box squat in terms of low back issues. So I wouldn't say that it's it's 50% yes, 50% no. I would say that it, it's really dependent on the individual. I myself have been box squatting forever. And I think at this period of time, what I have seen is that I have less issues with just the front squat as opposed to the front box squat or a safety bar box squat. So take that for what it is. You need to experiment. You need to figure out what works best for you. I still program the box squat for just about all of my clients. Um, and of course, I've had clients that don't do well with it. And that's just something to take in consideration. There's no one size. So you can't just say, well, I use the conjugate system and I have to box squat. No, that's, that's bullshit. You don't have to do anything. You need to do what works best for you. So Again, if I'm going purely more off my own personal experience as that as that is, as a you know an everyday athlete as well as a coach, I would say the front squat would be my squat pattern. Now, as we go to our hip hinge pattern, for me it would be the high handle trap bar deadlift or Romanian deadlift. I actually like the Romanian deadlift for more of my beginner athletes that are learning the hip hinge pattern and need the level of motor control they just don't have yet. But the high handle trap bar deadlift I use if we're going to load something heavy, that is the pattern for me. And again, we could, this could be a very long podcast. We could talk about each of these, and the nuances of why I bias the trap bar over the straight bar. And I know a lot of, you know, pure conjugate guys will, will disagree with me. And that's perfectly fine because again, everything stems off our own experience. The main tenets of the conjugate system are still staying intact with the way I program. There's a huge emphasis on GPP. There's a huge emphasis on recovery in terms of the nervous system prior where we place our high intensity or higher threshold workouts throughout the week doing, uh, you know, some form of tendon work, doing explosive strength work on a consistent basis, even for people that are aging, making sure that we have a huge emphasis on our assistance or accessory exercises. So we're building limiting factors and we're not always focusing on the bilateral component of what we do. So let's keep, let's continue with this. So this is, I think this is a good, this is a good discussion and hopefully this will provoke some thought for you where you start maybe thinking about if you had to come up with a list of, of four or five patterns per category, what would they be? So I mentioned that glute ham raise is a staple pattern. I would classify that as a hip hinge. It's obviously more posterior chain dominant. That's hence the name of it, glute ham raise. But if I had to choose between an RDL and a glute ham raise, I'd probably go with the RDL to be completely honest because a lot of people actually don't have the requisite strength to do a glute ham raise. But know that that is a pattern that is in guys that I work with, including myself, strong guys, glute ham raise, more than likely if they have access to it, it's going to be in their programming. Um, so let's continue. So we have single leg or our lunge pattern. You know, for me, it doesn't get any more basic than a front rack reverse lunge or even a split squat pattern. I like the split squat to progress someone to a more dynamic movement. And then over time, you know, we all know that the, the hierarchy of single leg patterns is the rear foot elevated variation. So I think that all of those are perfectly fine. Um, but I would progress someone to that. I wouldn't just go to that because it's the harder pattern. So for me, if I had to choose one, it would be the front rack reverse lunge, which uh, I mean, just has a number of great benefits. Of course, need to take into consideration someone's proficiency with a single leg pattern first and foremost. But again, this is more of my personal list. So let's continue. So now we've got, so we've done squat, we've done hip hinge, we've done single leg push. For me, it would be the floor press, okay? And of course, you know, you can mix in some overhead component there if you will, but I, I don't love a lot of overhead work. If I do do a lot of overhead work, it tends to be more with dumbbells or kettlebells. I love kettlebells for overhead work. I actually love kettlebells really for just about anything, but 
for overhead work, I love the position. I love um, the ability to keep your shoulder in better position and, and, and to be less injurious in terms of if you compared it to a standard barbell that is more fixed and doesn't have freedom of movement. But if I had to pick one, I think the floor press with a closer grip would be the one I would bias. And as we continue now to our row pattern, for me, it would be a chest supported variation. T-bar row would be optimal, but if you don't have a T-bar row, go with you know a dumbbell chest supported row. And uh, where does that leave us? That leaves us with what? Our carry. Um, so we've done, we've done uh, squat, hip hinge, lunge, push, pull, and carry. Carry for me, if I had to pick one and Probably not going to come as a big surprise, but I would go with the pharma carry. There's a ton of great variations and there are a ton of variations that you can utilize to address different limitations, specifically core, hip, and, you know, as Dr. John Rustin calls it, the pillar complex, a lot can be addressed with a loaded carry. Cross-body carry is a great one for someone that's got hip limitations. So, of course, you can go down the individualization rabbit hole and specialize it per the person. We know that Stu McGill often talks about the single arm carry as a great way of frontal core control. Um, and, and obviously you get a lot of antilateral flexion with that. But again, if I'm going to keep it as simple as possible, I think that the pharma carry has application. It has application for both strength and conditioning, depending on how you program it. So, you know, that is, if I had to break it down, that's what I would do. Now, of course, you have variations to those. You've got variations to your squat. Um, we could regress the front squat to a goblet squat or a goblet box squat even. You can regress the Romanian deadlift to maybe using a kettlebell between your legs. So let's say someone's got zero, you know, they have zero ability to hip hinge, which usually is the thing that I find for most people I work with being mostly male. People, the, the guys have trouble with a hip hinge pattern. Most of them don't have trouble squatting or pressing. They have trouble with a hip hinge. They just don't know how to do it. They don't have the motor control. And that's one that I work on a lot with my guys. So... I would regress that to, you know, just a single kettlebell between your legs and learning that pattern, you know, basically dropping the kettlebell between your legs and learning how to have a better lumbopelvic rhythm. So if we progress a floor or let's say regress a floor press, I would go to the dumbbell version with a neutral grip for most people tends to be more advantageous. If I was going to regress a chest supported row, I would of course, you know, go with you know, a dumbbell version of, as opposed to a T-bar row, there's less loading capacity, it's a little bit more control in terms of, you know, the ability to, to retract and get into good position and engage the lats. But I think, you know, you're probably thinking, well, you skip the pull up, the chin up. Those are in there, right? Those are staple patterns. Now we, we could progress our row pattern to a vertical variation, which would be a neutral grip pull up. So again, if you're picking five movements, I would, I would urge you to make a table, pick five patterns and start with the easiest and progress as you go up the ladder. And that gives you a good starting point in terms of, hey, I know these things work. Here's ways that I can progress them. Because I feel like one of the setbacks that a lot of coaches today have is that they've got basically paralysis by analysis. They're looking at millions of different exercise variations. And I'll tell you that I used to be one of those people that did it. I actually have a chart somewhere that I made. Uh, I think it was when I owned Box Programming. It might be still, actually probably still is on that site where I made a table of all of like staple patterns for basically all our foundational moving patterns. And then of course you can mix in other things, uh, miscellaneous things like band work and sled work. So there are certainly other things that come into play, but I would encourage you to simplify it, break down to what you know to be true. And those are the things that you go with. So 
Long story short, we went through a lot of things here and experimentation is part of the process. That's part of the process that gives us the ability to make better decisions, makes us, uh, gives us the ability to be a better coach for both, our, both ourselves or if you're working with clients. But one thing that I will say that if you are experimenting still with styles of training, I would urge you to look at something like the conjugate method. I've got a ton of content on it that you can read. One of the things that a lot of people have told me over the years that, that they didn't understand the conjugate method until they read my article, not to toot my own horn, but I think that the way I understand it and how I have, I guess, have that system evolve to more of the everyday athlete, someone that, you know, still wants to be competitive, still wants to see gains, but you know, you're not really looking forward to doing max effort work on a weekly basis. And this is really, you know, I've modeled this system really after my own process of being an athlete to, uh, you know, being in the military and then eventually to a dad and where I am at current, you know, my current day right now. So I'm going to put a bunch of links in here, check those articles out. A lot of great stuff in there of, of really simplistic, but in depth, my, one of my articles, actually a few of them are over 3000 words. So there's a lot of information there. They're not going to be, you know, a five minute read. It might take you some time to read it, but if you're interested in learning more, I would urge you to consider that because it is an incredibly powerful system of training where you won't feel beat up, where you won't feel demotivated and you won't get to a point where you're thinking, well, what am I doing? Can I do this for the rest of my life? That is a question that I think more people should be asking. If you are currently, you know, engaged in some process, maybe you're training for a CrossFit competition or whatever. If what you're doing right now, if you don't feel like you can be doing that 10 years from now or 15, 20 years from now, then I would urge you to start looking elsewhere because there is a better option. And the conjugate method, the way we structure it with aerobic work is a better option. It's going to give you more longevity. This is a system of training you can do forever and you don't have to max out every week. You don't have to be a power lifter to get the best results from it. So anyways, guys, thanks for listening today. Really appreciate it. A lot more to come. Uh, stay tuned for YouTube content because a lot of this stuff is better in video format. I think you'll see once I start getting some of this material on YouTube um, and being able to see some of these things is going to make this whole process of you understanding this stuff a lot easier. So that stuff is coming. We are actively looking for uh, some people to support this in terms of videography and things like that. So it is coming. Stay tuned for it. Check out the links that I'm going to put in this post and I will see you on the next episode. This was another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. And be sure to subscribe on all podcast platforms. 